0: Man, I, I can't help but think and just the student team. This was the first time they played together and it was incredible. Can we I guess I, I just want to say thank you. That that doesn't happen. It sounded beautiful. And so glad that you're here this morning. Hope you're finding a rhythm in your semester with classes and co-curriculars and all that's on your plate. I'll begin by asking a question, or or really asking you to to go back to when you were a kid for just a moment. I want you to imagine a time as a kid when you were afraid of getting in trouble. Can you go back to that place and picture the time, the people who were there, the place that it happened in? What did you do? What did you do in your... in, in response to your fear of getting in trouble, do you blame your siblings? Any youngest in the house? Raise your hand. Me too. It worked every time. Those older, responsible siblings, it worked when you blame them. Maybe you, you hid. You maybe ran away from your parents. Or maybe you hid the evidence of what actually took place. Or maybe you responded by lying. Or just staying silent, just like praying, God, I don't want it to get worse, please. Or did you say sorry repeatedly over and over and over again? Because it was, sorry is like a magic word when you're a kid that just gets you out of trouble. Like it's awesome. And then it's like the opposite when you're an adult. It doesn't work that way. I wish that it did. Or did you try to work your way out of trouble? My son the other day colored me a picture of Spider-Man and he gave it to me. And then he proceeded to tell me that he lied to me about something that he said earlier. And it was precious. And of course, I didn't care. It was just too cute. But he's already learning how to work his way out of trouble and into love. Now let's go a little bit deeper than what you did. Why were you afraid? Why did you feel the need to blame, hide, work your way out of trouble? Because ideally, what fearful children do is they run to their parents or guardians or teachers or their safe people or places. That's the hope. That's the goal. The reality is, though, that fearful children often create distance. For whatever reason, many of us from a young age learned to create distance from our safe places and people. We experienced some kind of hurt or disappointment along the way, and then fear or shame overcame us, so we created distance. What do fearful children do? They create distance. And as we began to explore last week, I'm curious if this is also our response to God as his children. We create distance from God out of a fear of him being disappointed, angry, or ashamed of us. And I wonder if the difficulty in us hearing God is not about whether or not God speaks, but it's about the distance at which we're trying to hear him speak. from a distance, it is tough to hear. So what else happens when we create distance from God? Let's go back to the verses that we read just a few minutes ago from John chapter 10. I want us to look at verse 5. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. I've been uh, sitting with this verse most of the summer. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. And if I'm honest, as I've sat with this verse, it's actually kind of haunted me all summer long. I just can't seem to shake Jesus' words And it haunts me because I hear all sorts of strange voices. And you probably do too. They're voices that sound like I'm ugly and unworthy of love. I have to be perfect to have peace. I'm only valuable if I perform well. I'm not as Christian as they are, so I guess God can't love me as much. I'll never measure up or meet the expectation. So why should I even try to be successful? My best days, they're behind me. If anyone actually knew me, they'd reject me. God isn't good. I wouldn't feel this way if he was good. God doesn't care for me. This wouldn't have happened if he cared. Have you ever heard one of those voices in your head, or from someone else? Or more accurately, have you ever heard one of those lies? Because that's what they are. They are lies. Lies from strange voices. Lies from the pit of hell. Lies that attack identity. And lies that creep in when there's distance between you and God. Where do they come from? Where do they originate? Jesus, just a couple of chapters before John 10, talked about lies. Listen to his words as he rebuked a group of religious leaders. Here's what Jesus said. He said, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you hear how Jesus describes the devil? There's no truth in him. Lying is his native tongue. It's who he is. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. He was this way from the beginning... Jesus said. Lying originated with him. So let's go back there. Let's go back to the beginning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 3. If not, it will be on the screen. I'm going to read for us Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So a serpent comes on the scene. A serpent, the, the personification of the devil, of evil, came to Eve while she was enjoying her new life in the Garden of Eden. And the serpent asked Eve a question. Did God really say What the snake is trying to do is to get Eve to question God's character. Eve, are you sure? Did God really say that? Did he really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Why would God say that, Eve? God says that he's good. Why would he keep you from tasting something so delicious? The devil's question cast God as a killjoy... An overprotective parent keeping Eve from the better good than the current good she already had. The devil's lie is making Eve question who God is, his character. It's the lie that's underneath all lies. God is not good and he's holding out on you. He's keeping the best for himself. And here's what happens next. Eve begins to answer the snake's question. She says, well, we can eat all of these trees over here in the garden. But here's what God did say. You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. And here's the interesting thing about this. When Eve repeats God's command to the serpent, she adds something God never said. You must not touch it. God never said that. If you look back in Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 where God gave the command to E, Adam and Eve to not eat of this tree and to eat those trees. He never tells them you must not touch it. He didn't say it. So why does Eve say this to the devil? Why does she add something a little extra that God did not say? We do this too. Let's take, this might be a little too personal, but let's take Dort parking, for instance. Right, you, you, you are told you can park in these places and not those places. And you're like, this makes no sense. There's no one in this lot all night long, and you're telling me I can't park here? No way, right? It's raining, it's snowing, you're running late, you got to get to class, and it just makes no sense. So from there, after you kind of are frustrated, and maybe you park in the right place, maybe you park in the wrong place, that's up to you. From there, you begin to talk with your roommates about it. And you begin saying things like, Dort doesn't let us park anywhere. I can't believe they take our parking ticket money. It costs so much to go here already. They don't care about us. You know what? I bet student services uses the money to go out to dinner. And you know what? We do. (laughs) There's this policy or command that you don't like or you don't understand. So you talk with your friends about it. As you talk, you add just a little extra detail that fuels your anger towards people or the situation and then justifies the behavior of you breaking the policy. How often do we talk to others and add just a little extra detail that fuels our anger and justifies our actions? And I wonder if something like this was what was going on with Adam and Eve. God gave them a command that they did not fully understand or like. And they began to talk about it as husband and wife. And as they talk, it fueled anger. It made them question God's goodness. And then they added to his command. We can't eat it. We can't touch it. We can't even look at it. God wants the best for himself. He's so harsh. So they created distance from God. And the devil crept in with a lie, questioning God's character, his goodness, and trustworthiness as a parent. Eve created distance, and the devil crept in. The first sin was a case of bad hearing. Of mishearing. And the devil does the same to us as we create distance from God. As we pull away and begin to think that God doesn't love us. God doesn't truly care for us. God isn't good. He's not trustworthy. Or maybe it's I'm not a good son or daughter. How could God or anyone love me, care for me, or help me? And in that moment, we begin to suffer from the same case of mishearing as Adam and Eve. And as we create that distance from God and others, the devil really lives up to his names accuser, adversary, father of lies. He makes us question God's character and he begins to strip away our identity. The devil doesn't want to make you do bad things, he wants you to not believe who you really are. That's what his lies do. They make you question God's character and they strip away your identity. That's his tactic, that's his strategy. The devil doesn't stop at getting us just to believe those lies. Listen to how Matt Canlis in his book, Backyard Pilgrim, describes the moment after Eve answers the serpent's question. He writes this. The seed of doubt the devil sows in Eve's ear will begin to grow in her heart unless they are uprooted and exposed as lies. A new and deadly harvest will invade Eden. Listen to what happens next. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Adam and Eve realized they were naked and they felt shame. Adam and Eve made themselves clothes and then they hid from God. And the devil, man, woman, and earth were cursed. Eve's mishearing, believing a lie, led to her misdoing, living a lie. It's at this point where I'm brought back to John 10 once again. Listen to verse 5 one more time. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. And again, I'm haunted by this. Because the, the verse says that God's sheep do not know a stranger's voice, but it also says God's sheep will not follow a stranger's voice. Adam and Eve's hearing a stranger's voice led to them following a stranger's voice. The problem with believing a lie is that it turns into living a lie. Another story from scripture might be helpful here. You may be familiar with it. It's the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. And a master who was going on a trip gathered all of his servants together to give them talents. He gave five talents to a servant. He gave two talents to a servant. And he gave one talent to a servant. And as the master left, the the servants began to work. And the servants with five and two talents increased their talents while the master was away. And the servant with one talent remained with only one Listen to why in verses 24 and 25 from Matthew 25. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. The servant's view of his master was different than his co-workers, than his co-laborers. This servant viewed his master's character, it was twisted. He viewed his master as unloving, as a jealous tyrant who was forcing him to do things. And the servant was afraid of his master. The servant believed a lie, and as a result, lived a lie. He buried the talent. And I can't help but ask as I read this parable, what happened in this servant's story, in his life, that made him believe this about his master? What's his story? Where did the lie originate? Where did it come from? What's your story? What lies are you living What lies have so become your reality that they have led to all sorts of unwanted behaviors or patterns? Because the lies that you believe, they come from somewhere. The lies that you live have a story. The unwanted behavior or patterns that you have in your life, the fleshly desires that seem to overtake you time and time again, they come from somewhere. I'll tell you a lie I've been living for years that I'm just only beginning to realize and unpack. I remember the moment vividly in fifth grade when I just couldn't take it anymore. The few years before that, I'd been made fun of quite a bit by people at school for my weight. I didn't like myself. I wanted to look different. I wanted to be someone different. And as an 11-year-old kid, all I wanted was a kind friend who genuinely liked me. And I even have memories of going to my mom after school and being like, Mom, I'm so ugly. And I remember she looked at me and she said, Sam, there's no ugly Ashmore's. She was trying. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to be seen. And it was at the end of fifth grade when I decided that I no longer wanted to feel that way. So I decided to lose weight. I lost 20 pounds the summer going into sixth grade, and people congratulated me. They told me I looked great. They encouraged me to keep losing weight. I had friends now. And here's the best part. I even held a girl's hand for the first time after that. It was awesome. And you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with all that? That sounds pretty neat. That sounds great. But here's what I've come to discover. That was a defining moment for me in fifth grade. At that moment, I decided I was no longer going to let anyone make me feel weak, insecure, or bad about myself ever again. Losing the weight was the moment I realized when I take control and put everything in my hands, I get the outcome that I desire. The lie I believed was that I was ugly and no one would ever like me unless I lost weight. That God didn't care about me. He was not a very good shepherd because I wouldn't feel this way if he was. And the lie I started living and have been living since is that I am my shepherd. That I can get the outcomes I deci- desire if I just take it all on me. If I do everything. If I don't let anyone else in. And what has resulted is having a lot on my plate. But more than that, that I don't trust anyone to help shepherd me. I don't let anyone in on or see my weaknesses, insecurities, or vulnerabilities because I don't want to feel the way I felt in fifth grade again. I don't trust God or others with the deepest parts of myself, even though I desperately long to. That's the lie I've been living most of my life. What lie are you living? What strange voice are you following? Because as an 11-year-old, without even realizing it or intentionally doing so, I create a distance between myself and God by becoming my own shepherd. And as a result, I've not let very many people into my life in a meaningful way. And at times it's been painful, lonely, and overwhelming. But what do fearful children do? They create distance. But here's the good news. Here's what I'm learning. Is that you don't have to be the one that closes the distance. You know what happens after Adam and Eve eat the fruit, make clothes for themselves, and hide? You know what happens after they create the distance? God looks for them. He goes searching and he asks this question in Genesis chapter 3, where are you? And the question is not one of disappointment, it's a question of desire. That God desires you, that God loves you and looks for you, that God is pursuing you. God is closing the gap on the distance that you have created. And he wants to know you. And he wants you to hear his voice. And he wants a relationship with you. And he will search high and low in mountains and in valleys. And he will never stop closing the distance that you've created. And not only does God go and find Adam and Eve, but he promises to crush the head of the devil. That's what he did in his death and resurrection. "The lies you've come to believe, the lies you've come to live, Jesus died for those. It's why He came. First John tells us the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, to set us free from the tyranny of the, the, the tyranny, the lies, the works of the devil. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Band, you can come up. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get to know that voice. Not the one of strangers. Not the lies of the devil, but the voice of the good shepherd. We are going to begin to recognize the tender, affectionate, pursuing, trustworthy, strong voice of Jesus. Because, y'all, Jesus is the good shepherd. But before we do that, before we go there... I encourage you to explore the lies that you've come to believe and live. What lies do you believe? What lies do you live? And name them. Uncover them. Explore the wound and the hurt where they were birthed. And then over the next few weeks, let the good shepherd speak into them. Let his voice renew and restore and redeem them. Let Jesus draw close and close the distance.